Now, we started our Christmas series last week and give you a quick recap of that. Um, we're looking at the, the story of Jesus, because what else are you going to do on uh, a Christmas series? So we learned that there are four accounts of Jesus' life, and two of them don't mention anything about his birth. One of them does. One of them is Luke, and it's the traditional Christmas story. It's the one that we're going to read on Christmas Eve, and it's the one that everybody knows. The angel comes to Mary. Uh, the angel says, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to have God's son. Then Caesar Augustus comes, and he calls the... Uh, the census and they have to travel to Bethlehem and she has the baby while she's there and they lay him on a manger in a manger because there's no room for them in the end. Awesome story. And we like reading Luke because he starts off with the story. But Matthew starts off with what? The family tree. Boring. Unless, unless you know the story. And that's what we're trying to figure out is the story. He goes all the way back to Abraham and he traces the family tree branches all the way from Abe to Jesus. And you have to understand that Matthew was trying to accomplish two things with his gospel. Number one, he was trying to convince Jews that Jesus was really Jewish because that was the first, um, uh, prerequisite qualification to be Messiah. Two, he was going to show that Jesus was related to David because that was the second qualification for the Messiah. The Jews knew that the Messiah was coming. They knew it was only a matter of time and they were watching to see where he would come from and they knew he had to be related to David. But somehow Matthew goes off script. Instead of pointing out the upstanding ancestors in the family tree, he goes out of his way to highlight crazy relatives that no one should ever mention. He throws in a couple of non-Jewish women and a couple of ladies for which we will use the term lady loosely. He, he emphasizes a couple of R-rated stories that we can't even read all of those verses in here because there's people too young to hear those verses. And, and historians were supposed to make the main people look good. Matthew didn't. Why? Well, three reasons that, that I come up with so far. The Bible is shockingly honest. It tells the real story. No editorializing to make the heroes look any better than they were. If they committed adultery, the Bible says they committed adultery right there in black and white. If they murdered someone, if they committed incest, the Bible tells it very clearly. It's one of the things that sets the Bible apart from every other book, from every other religion in the world. The, the Bible is shockingly honest. Because it's honest, number two, the ladies that he mentions, four ladies, were, um, were a part of the story. And so they were included in the story. But even more than that, this is where we got to last week, more than they were part of the story, we believe that these ladies, those type of people that you shouldn't talk about at parties and you shouldn't invite to your family reunions, they were the point of the story. They were the point of the Christmas story. Matthew is about to unfold the greatest story ever told, the life, teaching, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Matthew knows that he has a really bad reputation himself. So he points out the good, the bad, and the ugly of the family tree. And until the time of Jesus, anytime, anywhere, someone had tried to be religious, it ended up being like this. They would come to Jesus or come to God based on what they do or don't do. They would think they had to earn God's favor. So I do enough good stuff, then God has to pay attention to me. If I do all of these things and I don't do all of these things, then I can stand before God. And God is required to make my babies healthy. God is required to give me health and wealth and long life based on what I do. And the really sad thing is, is the more religious you are, the more you think you earned God's favor, the harder it is to accept what Jesus Christ has already done. And Matthew grew up in this type of environment where he was, uh, all the people he knew were religious people. And uh, when self-righteous people show up, have you ever noticed that sinners won't come around? 
They don't want to be around self-righteous people, holier-than-thou people. And for some reason, sinners and tax collectors always showed up when Jesus was around. How come they don't show up to our churches? Could that be that we're not really following Christ the way we should? Something to think about. Matthew recognized that Jesus' teaching was different. His story was different. His life was different. Every religion was the same thing. I approach God based on what I do or don't do. But Jesus offered something called grace. And all of a sudden, based on what Jesus did, not what I did, based on what Jesus did on the cross, there is a cross to bridge the great divide between God and humankind. I can come to God. You can come to God based on what Jesus did, not on my past. Because sinners know they're not good enough. Tax collectors and sinners, they don't even try because they know their past disqualifies them from coming into the presence of a holy God. And so Matthew goes out of his way to point out some of those people, tax collector, sinner type people in Jesus' family tree. The, the, the type of people who win awards for their sin, they're that bad. And he points them out. And, and folks that you and I would just kind of not want anybody to know about. I want you to check this out. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. We don't even get two verses into the family tree before we see the first twist. We don't understand it because we don't know the whole story, but the Jews did. They heard this and they went, Now, if I were to ask you to turn to your neighbor and discuss the life of Judah right now, it'd be a really short conversation, wouldn't it? Now, I imagine if you've been in church any amount of time, though, you could spend a lot of time talking about one of Judah's younger brothers because he's famous. Judah had 11 brothers. He's the oldest of 11 brothers. 11 plus 1 equals 12. These 12 men were the foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah's father was named Jacob. Later in his life, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. That's how the country, the nation gets its name. These guys are a very, very big deal. So as Matthew begins the tree, the first bump where everybody goes, oh no, is this mention of Judah and his brothers. The Jews are thinking, I can't believe you brought that up. You see, Judah's famous brother was Joseph. Ever heard of him? Coat of many colors? Yes, you've heard of him. His brothers were jealous of him because he was daddy's favorite of all the 12. Most folks have heard of Job, but very few have heard of Judah. Joseph isn't in the family tree. Judah is. Now, if you know the story of Joseph and you know the story of Judah and you have to choose one to be in the family tree of Jesus, which one are you going to choose? It's a no-brainer, right? You're choosing Joseph. This is an awesome story, a man of integrity, faithfulness, wisdom. At the end of his story, he becomes a savior. He saves his brothers. He saves his family. He saves Pharaoh. He saves Egypt. He saves everyone. And if there was ever someone who would be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, it's Joseph. But Joseph doesn't make the list and you have to scratch your head and go, why did he choose the other one? And then you come across a verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, one of my favorite verses. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So if all scripture is inspired by God and this family tree of Jesus is in Matthew's genealogy this in his first chapter of his book don't you think maybe he did it on purpose i think he did god looks down matthew's writing and and we know that the bible is inspired by the holy spirit god didn't dictate to him but he he uh spoke to them through the holy spirit and as matthew's writing god says i got to choose one of those 12 boys i choose judah you wouldn't 
I wouldn't, but God did because the whole point of Christmas was for Jesus to rescue those people like Judah. Now, Judah's story is kind of a footnote in the story of his famous brother, Joseph. Joseph was a favorite son. Everybody knew it. But just to make sure that everyone knew it and he was identified, Jacob gives him a coat, a multicolored robe, this fancy robe. All the other 11 brothers, they get nasty robes, but Joseph gets the nice robe. And then one day, Jacob decides to send Joseph out to find his brothers. His brothers are working. That's another problem for another day. But daddy's boys at home not working. He sends him out to find his brothers and... Uh, Judah is the leader of the brothers. And here comes Joe. Pick it up in Genesis 37, 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Okay. Now this next sentence, the Bible just says like it's just normal. Like it's everyday activity. Then just as they were sitting down to eat. Let's strip our brother naked, throw him in a pit. and Oh, pass the ham, please. Anybody got some chips? Who got the salt and pepper? You're always hoarding the salt and pepper. It's like it's normal. Let's throw him in a pit. Let's go eat. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. So they throw him down in a pit. They sit down to eat lunch. And then they look up and they see these traders headed to Egypt. And here's where we meet Judah. Pick it up in verse 26. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? His blood would just give us a what? Throwing him a pit didn't give us a guilty conscience. We ate. Didn't even get indigestion. But I've got a great idea and it won't give us a guilty conscience. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's make him a slave. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood. Do you want brothers like that? Oh my goodness. Judah says, we can kill two birds with one stone. Instead of killing him, let's make some profit off of him. Judah's the influencer, and so all the other birds... Yeah, sounds good to me. Let's get rid of him. Make some money. Sure. And Judah is the one chosen to be in Jesus' family tree. And and it just kind of seems strange. So they sell him, and they think this is the end of the story. And their teenage brother goes off to Egypt, and the others split the profit. They take the fancy robe, they dip it in animal's blood. There was no DNA testing back then to know whether it was an animal or a human. And they go to their father and they break their father's heart. Sorry, dad, but your favorite, he got eaten. He got torn up so bad, we couldn't even find his body. Here's all that's left, dad. His messed up robe. Sorry, dad. And they decide to take this secret to the grave. The money, it's going to be gone quickly. The secret, it will last. For over 20 years, they live with this secret. Every time the family gathered for a meal, there's an empty seat. Every time the family gathers for a family celebration, there's Joseph's seat. And the brothers choose to live with it. Now, when you read the book of Genesis, you realize only two of the brothers get any ink in the book of Genesis. Joseph gets the most. In fact, Joseph gets more ink than any character in the Old Testament. Judah gets just a couple of mentions in in chapter 37, and then it gets plain creepy in chapter 38. It's bad when he sells his brother in 37. It gets creepy in chapter 38 when we read about him. Joseph is gone. Judah moves on with his life. He gets married and has a bunch of kids. The first three kids he has are boys. First son grows up, and Judah marries him off to a woman named Tamar. Now, last week we talked about Tamar was the first lady mentioned, first woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, and she should never have been mentioned, and and you're going to find out why. So he marries her to this woman named Tamar. 
the first son did evil in the sight of God. If you read chapter 38, in fact, somebody went home and read that last week and then they emailed me all kinds of questions. If you read chapter 38, you'll see that he did evil in the sight of God and God took him. You know what took him means? God killed him because he did evil in his sight. And he did not have a son to to pass on the family name and all of the land and all of that stuff. So as was custom in the Jewish nation at that time, the next brother, the next oldest brother, was supposed to marry his widow and he was supposed to have a son with her and that son would then get to carry on the family name and he would get all of the benefits, all of the the inheritance that uh, the first son was going to have. Well, the second son didn't want to give his inheritance to this other one. So you can read that story. I am not reading that here in this church. Um, But you can read about it. He did evil in the sight of God. And the Bible says God took him too. What does that mean? God killed him too. So Judah goes to Tamar and he says, well, the law requires me to take care of you. If you'll wait till my third son is old enough to marry, I'll give him to you. Now, the Bible also tells us he had no intention of giving his third son to her because he's thinking God's going to kill him too. It must be Tamar. She's the widow maker, you know, that, that type of thing. So he says, I'll give you my third son. You'll be, he'll be able to carry on the family name and all of that stuff. So Tamar grieves and she dresses up in widow's clothes and, and mourning clothes. And everybody knows that she is the widow of two of Judah's sons. Her only hope, she can't go out and find a husband. Her only hope is for Judah to take care of her. Well, time goes by and Judah forgets his promise. And you know, he probably saw her from time to time. The land wasn't all that big. We don't know the details for sure. Many years passed. She's an outcast. She's not a virgin. She has no husband, no son. That means she has no way to provide for herself. Her only hope is if Judah takes care of her. So she's vulnerable and she decides to take matters into her own hands. And this is where it gets creepy. She dresses up like a temple prostitute, puts a veil over her face and goes and sits by the city gate. Now, the city gate was kind of like city hall. Now, I'm not saying that there are prostitutes at city hall, but I'm saying that this is where you carried out all the business. Right? So the elders would go and they would carry out the business. And, and so Judah was one of the elders of the town. He would go sit with the other men and they would pass judgment on cases. So if you had a dispute with your neighbor, you could come and the elders of the town would hear the case. They would pass judgment. Or if you were going to sell some land or sell an animal or something like that, you would come and they would be witnesses to that transaction. So we don't know how long it took, but one day Judah notices Tamar. Doesn't know it's Tamar. He doesn't recognize her, which tells us it's been a long time since he gave his daughter-in-law a second thought. And uh, the one, you know, he promised to protect and to provide son number three in marriage, forgot all about her. Well, he likes what he sees. He decides to hire the prostitute. And the agreed-upon payment is a goat. Well, he doesn't travel with a goat, so... He doesn't have it on him. And she says, well, I want a pledge that will guarantee that you pay me my goat. He goes, okay, what do you want? She says, I want your signet ring. Now, they wore this on a cord around the neck. It was a ring that had their seal on it. And when they would make the official documents, they would press down with their ring and it would be their seal. And it would have his name or something like that that would identify him. She said, I want your signature ring and I want your staff. Now, your staff, you know, we don't understand that, but it's kind of like a baseball player's bat or a football player's helmet. Nobody's going to touch it. It's very, very personal. These were very big deal. And so he doesn't have the goat, and and, and he's, anyway, he says, okay. And so they go and have sex, and he leaves. He goes home, finds a uh, servant a couple days later, and he goes, met a temple prostitute, blah, 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 blah. Don't want to go into it, but I owe her a goat. I need you to take this goat to her. 
So his servant agrees and he takes the goat and he goes to the city gate and he says, where's the temple prostitute? And all the leaders sitting there go, we don't have a temple prostitute. We've never had a temple prostitute. And the servant's going, <laughs> okay. So he goes back to Judah. Judah's probably thinking, man, I get to keep my goat. He's not about to go ask the town leaders because that's too embarrassing. He kind of sweeps it under the rug and he hopes nothing will come of it. And if you've ever watched a movie in your life, do you think nothing came of it? Would I be telling you this story today if nothing came of it? And by the way, this isn't very Christmassy, is it? This is a Christmas series. He tells about prostitutes and goats. Three months later, someone comes up to him and says, uh, Judah, don't know if you've heard or not, but Tamar has, this is literal translation, played the harlot. Now, last week we talked about four ladies in the genealogy of Jesus, Tamar, Rahab the prostitute, or the literal translation is harlot. So they're saying Tamar has played the harlot, she's pregnant, and she's not married. And of all the people in the world who knew Tamar wasn't married, Judah would be the first, right? Because he's married two sons to her, he's supposed to have... Okay, he knows. This is the really crazy thing here. Judah reacts exactly like everyone does who has secret sin. He gets self-righteous. Ever met someone like that? Holier than thou, beat you over the head with the Bible over some issue, and then a year or two later, their secret issue that they've been beating you over the head with comes out. Happens all the time. It's a bizarre thing about human nature. There's no grace, no mercy, and you find out they have the same sin. I, I don't fully understand how this works. But let me tell you this. If you are unbroken over sin, if you have a secret sin, many times it will come out in a self-righteous manner. You excuse your sin and you deflect attention to someone else who has the very same sin that you do. And I just got to warn you, do not trust self-righteous people. Because they got a secret. Somebody comes off as self-righteous, that should be a red flag. I'm not going to trust what they say because they're hiding something. Look what Judah does. The last part of verse 24. He says, bring her out and let her be burned. He's thinking, my daughter-in-law has publicly shamed me. She should publicly be punished. Time out. Aren't you the same Judah who threw your brother in a pit and ate a ham sandwich? Aren't you the same Judah who sold your brother into slavery? You didn't want to kill him because, you know, that might make you feel guilty. So let's sell him into slavery. Aren't you the same Judah who promised to take care of Tamar and give her your third son when he grows up? You said you would take care of her. Aren't you that same Judah? Mm-hmm. Okay, just checking, just checking. The whole community hears about it and everyone agrees to the punishment. But Tamar's a smart gal and she has a couple of things up her sleeve that are going to blow his self-righteous butt out of the water, doesn't she? You know the story. So as they're leading her out, well, actually read this scripture with me, verse 25. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. She didn't stand up and go, it's Judah's baby. She could have, you know, and that would have been, you know, Sally, Jesse, Raphael. I don't know what, who's, who's, anyway. She could have done that and everybody would go, oh. no, here's what she does. She sent this message to her father-in-law. 
The man who owes, owns these made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Messenger has the seal and the cord and walking stick in one hand. You know, the signature ring in one hand, the walking staff in the other. And he goes, he goes up to Judah. Hey, Judah. Tamar sent me over here with message. She said, I am with child by the man who owns these things. You know what she's talking about? And Judah has an OMG moment. All of the blood drains from his face. And he freezes. And then he goes, No burning today! Put the fire out! Everybody go home! There's nothing to see! Nothing to see here! Going home. Dismisses everybody. Bible says he goes to see Tamar and he says, you are more righteous than I am. He wasn't mad at her. He had promised to protect her and he didn't. She took matters into her own hands. He said, you're more righteous than I because I did not keep my promise. A few months later, Tamar has a baby named Perez. And Judah and Tamar and Perez are in the life, the the family tree of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Matthew, come on. This is the kind of story you hide. Unless it's the point of the Christmas story. And Judah's story isn't over either. Many of you know it. 20 years later, there's a severe famine in the land. Jacob, the father, calls out his son, calls his sons together and says, Guys, we're in deep weeds. Go buy some grain in Egypt. That's, that's my uh, translation. Look how the scripture says it in New Living Translation. Uh, Genesis 42.1. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? Can you see it? If you've got any children, you know exactly what this is going on. You got, you got 11 sons and stand up here, Jacob. And so Jacob and I are brothers and we're supposed to be providing for the family. What are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know. And, and, and Jacob goes, Quit looking at each, at each other. Go to Egypt. You can sit down. Thank you, babe. Go to Egypt. They have grain. If you don't go to Egypt and buy enough grain, we're all going to die. I love the Bible. When they get to Egypt, guess who's in charge of all the grain? Joseph. But they don't know it. He keeps his identity hidden. He tests them. Eventually, all 11 brothers are in the room with him. And he says to them, I am Joseph, your brother. Whom you, whom you sold. And Judah has another OMG. Because Judah's thinking, what would I do in his place? And Judah knows exactly what he would do in Joseph's place. It's a time of reckoning. And what does Joseph do? They're bowed down before him. They're quivering in their boots. And Joseph says, I forgive you. Get up. I want to take care of you and the whole family. You, sent, you thought you sent me here? No, it was God. Look what he says in Genesis 50, 20. This is a famous verse. Saying to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You thought you sent me here? It was God who sent me here. He sent me here to save people. And Joseph becomes a perfect picture of Jesus. But God doesn't put Joseph in the family tree. He includes Judah. Why? 
Because Judah is a picture of you and me. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write your name right there. Judah is a picture of Doug. Judah is a picture of Timmy. Judah is a picture of John. We can't relate to a Joseph who was a savior. We can all relate to to Judah. We may not be as jacked up, but we're jacked up. And in the end, it doesn't matter how jacked up you are. If you have one sin, the Bible says you fall short of the glory and the kingdom of God. Joseph doesn't give them what they deserve, and that's the story of Christmas. Never in the history of the world has God expected people to come to him based on what they do or don't do. This man's made up false religion. When people say, I don't like organized religion, tell them, come to new life. We're not organized religion. We're just a bunch of goofballs. Or as someone said, we're, we're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're disorganized religion. That's what you can tell them. From the very beginning, the book of Genesis, which means beginnings, God has never expected human beings to come into his presence based on what they do or don't do. He had to do something outrageous. God knew before he created the world, he had to do something outrageous to provide a path so that humans could get back to God. And this outrageous story is what we call Christmas. And I don't want you to miss it this year. You and I can relate to Judah and we can relate to some of the other people that we're going to discover in the family tree of Jesus. And I want you to to leave with this message You and I are the reason for the season. You hear people say, Jesus is the reason? No, 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 no. God sent Jesus for you and me. Now, I'm not trying to say we're the center. We're the reason he came. Because we're more like Judah than Joseph. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I think if I were to have a poll and have you raise your hands and ask how many of you deserve to be in the presence of God, I I think most people here would, would say, no, I don't. If you think you deserve it, then nothing I say will help you. But if you know you don't, if you know your past has disqualified you from coming to God, then you're the very reason that Jesus came. And some of us here, like Joseph, Davis, he's he's been a Christian, but he just wanted to mark a new beginning. Some of you are Christians and you've fallen away from God and, and you need to come back. And this is the perfect time to come back. And so I just want you to pray something like this. God, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Please forgive me for straying. I want to come back home. Some of you have been straying for a while. It may be time for you to get rebaptized. Because today might be that day that you come back to God. Some of you here, I know, because some of you wrote this on your, your cards last week that you're not a Christ follower. All your life you've been taught that, that if you do enough good stuff, that maybe you'll get to heaven. And if your good stuff outweighs your bad stuff, you'll go to heaven. Well, that's not scriptural. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
So if you know that you are not going to heaven, here's what you do. If you want to step across that line, it's real simple. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You just pray that silently where you're sitting. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and lead me the rest of my life. You weren't ashamed of me. I won't be ashamed of you. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, everybody else, keep your heads bowed. But if you just prayed that prayer, first time you've prayed it, I want you just to look at me. Wow. According to Scripture, you can know that you have eternal life. First John chapter 5, it says, um, he, who believes, he who has the Son has life. He who, does not, he who does not have the Son does not have life. He who believes in the name of the Son of God may know that he has eternal life. These things I've written to you so that you may know that you're saved. According to Scripture, if you ask God to save you, then you are a new creation. You are born into the kingdom of God today. Today is your spiritual birthday, December 8th, 2013. And the Bible says all of heaven, the angels of heaven rejoice when a new one comes into the kingdom. If you pray that, be sure and write that on the back of your card because I want to talk to you this week. Father, we love you and we thank you for this gift that you've given us that we do not deserve. Help us to remember That everyone in here and everyone that we encounter this week, whether they're nice or not, is the reason for the season. Help us look past ourselves and begin to reach out to others and carry the message to them. In Jesus' name, amen.